Yo, what's good? It's your boy, South 76 This is Community Podcast. Uh, we got a special guest tonight. Let him introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, my name's Anthony Crudup, uh, you know, uh, alumni of the University of Minnesota. Um, played safety at a few schools, Tulane being one of them, uh, University of Minnesota being another. Um, just here to talk football. Yeah, this is uh, Marcus Sniffles from Twitter. Uh, Anthony is one of the people I started following during college football. He's one of the better followers on uh, college football and football in general. So uh, if you want to just, what's your Twitter handle for everybody? Uh, Twitter handle is Cleet Elite Ampro. All right, bet. So everybody should definitely, if you're a fan of football or NCAA football, you should definitely be following him. So the thing we're going to be talking about is football and NCAA and how it affects, you know, kids, uh, student athletes, professional athletes. And the thing that got me interested in this is the article or the interview that Brett Favre had about trying to end tackle football for 12 year olds in this state of Illinois. Now it's, it's funny coming from Brett Favre. Cause when you consider how he played the game, he was one of the, uh, you know, plays like a kid. He was an Iron Man. He played like 10 years straight without missing a snap, stuff like that. He was the epitome of toughness. And for people to see that guy saying, Hey, I don't think kids should be playing tackle football is kind of a lot of people don't know how to deal with that. So I'll, I'll ask you, Anthony, how do you, how do you feel about what uh, Brett Favre is trying to do here with ending tackle football for? Yeah. I mean, something also to mention with Brett Favre, uh, I think it was something like 18 or 19 years. It was really bad too. To stay on the field. So Brett Favre had some massive issues. I mean, if you want to call it what it is, became a little bit of a drug addict um, to stay on the field. Um, So he more than anyone knows how dangerous it can be, how dangerous it is and how hard it is to be an Ironman. I just, I just find it funny that people are now like, they're not very accepting of this idea that uh, kids shouldn't play tackle football. A lot of people feel like football is being attacked unfairly because there's a lot of other sports where there are contact with the head, like boxing, soccer, even volleyball. There's you know chances for concussion. But when I see Brett Favre saying that, hey, I don't think 12-year-olds should be playing tackle football – it's hard for me not to pay attention to that because like you said, he's played it. He played in the NFL for almost 20 years. He knows what his, he knows what the, the punishment he takes like every day, just to stay on the field. Like all the things he has to do to stay on the field is, is pretty, a lot of people wouldn't do it. You know, a lot of people probably would have quit playing at some point based on all the injuries and head shots and body shots. He's taken over his like 20 year career. But I mean, I, I've, I've read a lot of articles on like, you know, former athletes and former NFL players that when they get out of the league, they they can barely walk. They have they can't breathe through their nose. They have, you know, memory blackouts. And the more I read this stuff and now reading this article about Brett Favre, it is it is hard for me. I do 
feel conflicted because I do have kids, I do have boys, and it's like, okay, do they play football? And there's parts of me that's like, man, I don't know if I want my kids going through that when there's so many other sports that they could play. Now, the only thing that I would say about that is, is that you are highlighting that Brett Favre was a bit reckless for the position he plays because you can look at a guy like uh, Tom Brady, who's he's been in the league almost 20 years, I'm not mistaken. He hasn't had the same type of wear and tear in his body. Now, mind you, the technology is a lot better from his time, from Brett Favre's time, as far as like we what we know knowledge-wise on how to take care of yourself, having a better diet plan. So stuff like that factors into it. But also, as a professional athlete, I know like you're a human gladiator, like, hey, this is all I have, this is my identity. But like he made the choice to play for two decades, which isn't probably the smartest thing to do, knowing how physical the sport is. So at, at a certain point, as an athlete, you have to know, like, hey, there's a limit on this. There's a limit on how long I can perform these actions, and I need to have another identity outside of football. Like again, you're you're saying you're saying like for your 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 kids, like hey, I don't know if I want them to do that, but you're comparing a 20 year career in the NFL from a not a not a running quarterback, but I guess a mobile quarterback who took a lot of probably unnecessary hits to playing. Let's say you don't let your kids play in middle school, maybe four years of football, and it's kind of depending on what position they play, depending on how much you know physical you know banging they're going to get to do. If that makes sense. Well, I guess the, the thing that bothers me about the NFL is that when I read articles about the NFL, Brett Favre will say he's only been diagnosed with three to four concussions officially. I read an article about Jamal Lewis, the running back from the Ravens. He said he was only diagnosed like officially with four concussions through his whole career. And if you've watched Jamal Anderson or not Jamal Anderson, Jamal Lewis, if you watch the way he played, you can clearly tell that he's, like play through some tough things. And now obviously my kid is not in the NFL. He's not an NFL player, but just the idea of that being a possibility and the idea that the NFL is kind of, they're getting a little bit better at it with the, with the concussions. Yeah. yeah. But for a long time, they were just like sweeping it under the rug. You look at play, like even famous plays like Terrell Davis's play in the Super Bowl where he like couldn't see, but he was still out there. There's plenty of articles where you read about Jamal Lewis and Larry Johnson where they're running the ball and they don't remember the play. Like he, Larry Johnson, uh, he played for the Chiefs. He was talking about how he can barely remember a majority of his career because of all the concussions and CTE and all these players are going through all these issues and killing themselves and hurting people. It's just like, and especially when they're kind of doing it for free too. Like you consider Pop Warner. They have a, a show on, I think it's TLC, like Tiny Tikes or something like that. Like I watched that show and the way these kids hit each other and how poorly they tackle each other. It's kind of like, that's that's not good. That's not what they should be doing at that age. Like not at, you know, six or seven going helmet to helmet like that. You know, one thing I want to circle back to is the Tom Brady uh, discussion. Um, let's not forget that Giselle – um, you know, did leak that in an interview, which I'm assuming she didn't mean to, that um, Tom has definitely had more concussions than he's admitted to. He's been kind of loopy before. So, you know, when thinking about Brett Favre's career and thinking about Tom Brady's career, they might not really be too far off. The difference is the public perspective in which each one of them are willing to say, because what, Tom Brady is on year 19 this year. So, I mean, 
he's up there with playing as many years as Brett Favre did. Going to the lack of concussions protocol, all levels of football see this. And the reason why is it's uh, concussions are difficult. I've been diagnosed with three myself. A lot of times the concussion protocol is delayed. So you get hit, boom. Clearly it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. You can see it. You can see that someone might be messed up. They go into the huddle. They go back. Uh, athletic trainer comes out and get them. There's, there's a scientific name for it. I can't remember. But when adrenaline is flowing, you can mask the symptoms of a concussion. This is why typically a lot of teams, they'll test you two, three, four days later. But in the meantime, a lot of teams don't stray on the, on the side of caution with, okay, clearly that was a ridiculous hit. Even though I know you passed protocol, let's just err on the side of caution because realistically the NFL and college football is all about bottom line. It has nothing to do with – it's not your typical business. It's all about the bottom line. Let me ask you this. You, you said you've been diagnosed with – you said three concussions? Three concussions. If you had to guess, how many concussions do you think you've had? Do you think uh, it's just Probably three? I'd say at least um, on the for sure, for sure – I'd probably say pretty close to six, six or seven. So also just to piggyback on that, did you know, like before being diagnosed, did you know, like, yeah, this, this was not one of the regular hits I take. Like, I know this one isn't right. Like, did you know that, you know, before this concussion thing has been, you know, bring, bring brought to the light as far as a big issue, like, you know, how your body is, you know, that this hit probably didn't feel the same as the other hits, correct? On the first two that I had, both of them don't remember playing the rest of the game, which I did play. I also, apparently, uh, from what I was told, you know, I kind of went over to the side after being, uh, you know, looked at by the athletic trainer and threw up, um, which is a clear sign of, like, that you probably are concussed. But football is one of those sports where the culture of it is to be a tough man. So you got to do it for your team. You got to grind it out. Being hurt, playing injured or playing hurt is something that like you got to grind it out. So that's why I say in this, the argument that a lot of coaches use is a false argument because they want to go to women are diagnosed with concussions in youth sports at a significantly higher rate. So I asked the question, are they actually getting more concussions or are they just reporting them more often? That's not a question that anyone can answer. I could probably, they're probably reporting more often. Cause again, like you just said, for the males, you have to be a tough guy. Women are brought up to be nurturing in the nurture, the nurture type. So, if they don't feel right, they get an injury, they're going to be the first one to tell you, like, hey, I do not feel good. What do we tell little boys? Hey, don't cry. Oh, just suck it up. Wipe some dirt on it. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to be ones to bring themselves out the game or say that they're not feeling correct or they're, they're hurt or anything like that. So, yeah, that, that definitely that definitely makes sense. Like, anybody who, who can can deduce any type of logic and say, hey, yeah, this this is probably the case. Yeah, and the culture. That's the that's culture of football, too. Yeah, the culture of football feeds into that. So, you know, every year, um, the perfect example is Byron Leftwich, uh, that game from college that they show it literally every year. 
broke his leg. His teammates are literally having to carry him down the field to take snaps. And they ended up winning that game. But what what coach and what athletic trainer allows a player <laughs> with a literal broken leg to finish out a game? I mean, as you can and see, it's, it's getting it's, it's still a sports clip from probably more than a decade later. It's Keep it's the machine folklore. rolling, man. Yep. It's folklore. Like, people, they run that clip to show, like, hey, look how tough these guys are. They, you know, prop that up as, like, propaganda for people to go out and this is what football will do for you. It'll toughen you up. And it's like, yo, that's, yeah, he's tough, but that's also negligent. You can't put a kid out there with a broken leg playing football. And Byron Leftwich was one of the most unathletic quarterbacks as far as mobility. So if someone would have got, it, like, a free rush on him, like he's not getting out of the way. He's just gonna take that hit for no reason. And the 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 culture of football is is ridiculous. It's getting out of control where you see players like the NFL now is like if you get a concussion, you're pretty much out for the game. You're, if you get diagnosed with a concussion on the sideline, you're gone for the game. And you got fans calling you soft. You got people on Twitter saying you're a pussy, get on the field. And it's like, yo, man, that's someone's brain. Like their brain is injured. And you're telling them to tough it out and go out in the field. And it's like, for what? What are, what are we really doing, you know, with this culture of football as far as, like, demanding this unreasonable amount of toughness on these guys? Where it's like they feel like Tom Brady feels like he has to play through all these, you know, concussions, these injuries. And and you could look at Tom Brady and he, and he looks fine. He might have had more concussions than we know about. But look at look at his look across the field at his teammate. Look at Gronkowski. That man looks like a he looks like Frankenstein. He's got all <laughs> kinds of bandages and on his knees and elbows. He's had multiple concussions. This guy is not even I don't know, is Gronk even 30 yet? Probably like not. how was how is Gronk gonna look when he's 40 if he makes it to 40, God willing? Like his body is not gonna sustain all this. It's not it's not possible. Well, to that point, I know recently an article came out. Uh, I know Anthony, you probably saw it about the I think it was the a quarterback from Arkansas. Well, it, it was a quarterback from from some school. I don't know if he started or not, or I can't remember the school. But they said Washington that he, State. Yeah, Washington State. So he they said he had uh, the brain of like a sixty year old from concussions. And the thing that I got into a back and forth with one of my guys, a uh, shout out to Chuck Decoy, about his issue. And I was like, I, I was just curious how a quarterback who hadn't even made it to the, to the league had that many concussions, had that many issues. My first thought was. Okay, did he play a different position growing up? Was he a fullback or a linebacker coming up, or was he a mobile quarterback? What I was told later is their line was so bad that he got hit a lot because typically, you know, we're talking about a guy like Gronkowski or a guy like Jamal Lewis or running backs and linebackers that have issues with concussions. It, it doesn't seem to be a prevalent issue as of now, from what I can see from like, you know, quarterbacks or skill positions. Like if you look at, uh, Say uh, the the receiver that played for the Colts, whose name when I mentioned number eighty eight, who's in the Hall of Fame, that man would catch the ball and hit the dirt. He wasn't taking no hits for nobody. So I mean, there, there's some positions where it seems like you can avoid more of the the contact, if that makes any sense. So I was kind of surprised to see that a quarterback would have that many concussions and that bad of a brain. I mean, I think I, I do think it's a lack of research and understanding because, and I, I think I told you this. I was like, well, how many how many hits does it take to get CTE and that's something that we don't know yet. It's going to take a lot of time. Like all these, a lot of NFL players are donating their brain to science and doctors because they want to help out the future people that play football. Because 
we don't have these answers. Like if these football players are killing themselves, they're making sure not to like bro- blow their brains out. They're shooting themselves in the chest. You know what I'm saying? They're taking pills to just die. They're not, they, they want their brain conserved so that science can study it to see like, Hey, how can we, what can we do to prevent CTE? How can we prevent brain damage? How can we learn about this? And we just don't have the answers right now. Yeah. And the idea with that as well too, is that randomization in research is really important. So uh, grabbing, grabbing, uh, you know, 2000 to 5,000 brains is what they're going to need to do. Some who play football at various levels, a whole bunch of people who don't play football or who have never played football. Um, it's also going to go back to the smoking thing. People who smoked for literally 60 years and I mean, they look super healthy and are super healthy. And then that guy who smoked for five years and now has lung cancer, um, uh, I don't think we're ever going to have really all the answers, but I think the extremes are both what people are kind of pushing now. The extremes on the, well, CTE doesn't exist because, look, I played football for 10 years and I don't have CTE. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe yours isn't making you want to have suicidal thoughts, or maybe you don't have it at all. And then you got the other people on the other side of the spectrum of, look, 100 brains were tested by NFL players and 99 of them had CTE. You're going to get CTE if you play football. Well, you know, we can't definitively say that either. Well, they, they can't they can't determine if you have CTE until you're dead, until you're dead. Right. Like that's how yeah. that's how they're that's the only way they can determine if you have it. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Alzheimer's like it can't fully be diagnosed until you're dead. Yeah, I believe they said the same thing about, uh, I mean, obviously this guy had more issues than the, the average person, but Aaron Hernandez, when he, after his his passing, they looked at his brain and they said his brain was that of like a 70, 80-year-old person as well. And I, he didn't even really play that long. He played for maybe like five or six years and then he was out of the league. Like, it doesn't, I just don't under, I don't know I just it's just hard for me to say like hey go ahead and 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 play football and this isn't this isn't like I'm not trying to shit on the NFL but you can get a concussion in Pop Warner you can get a concussion in middle school high school college like and they're not really checking for concussions like that it's not a in the NFL it's it's because it's more popular so they feel like okay we have to check because people are watching but you consider some small school in Wisconsin or some small town in, you know, Wyoming, are they doing the proper concussion test? Are they, are they looking at a kid and saying like, Hey, this guy, he might need to come out. Like a lot of, a lot, some schools aren't doing that stuff. And to add to that, I'll add that there's a, I mean, athletic trainers for the most part, who are the people who are checking for these for the most part, they're good at their jobs, you know, the deal with this becomes uh, as someone who's been diagnosed as someone who's had problems as someone who's had surgeries from football, the patient or the player has to be compliant in all of this too. I mean, I played on a torn Achilles. I played, I played on a torn PCL. Um, I played with a torn labrum. 
the reason why, not because I didn't think that something was wrong and an athletic trainer didn't check me over because they did. And I pretended like it wasn't wrong because that's the culture. That's the culture that's pushed on us. So we got to change the culture if football is going to survive and if we're going to keep people safe. Now, when you say change the culture, I know a lot of people will say that the NFL won't exist in the future, not the near future, but like the distant future. My thing is, do you think that I know you were talking about as far as uh, in California, they want to push for not having tackling at the age of 12. You were saying they should make non-tackle leagues. Do you think it would be possible for, let's say, the NFL, for example, to, to be successful with less contact? Like a lot of people are advocating for taking off the helmets, things like that. Do you think it could be successful like that? Because for me, I know the old school you know, ways of the NFL was the big hits and things like that. But the, the NFL, football in general, is a, is a beautiful sport as far as like the, the chess match you can go from with coordinators, uh, scheming people open plays you can call making adjustments. That's why I like football. I like football because of the chess match that it can be, become between players and coaches, things like that. But your average beer drinking, hot dog eating, hamburger eating guy is like, oh, I want to see the big hits. I'm like, that's not all the game is. So do you think it's possible they could – I mean, they're trying to do it now with, you know, getting rid of the big hits, you know, hey, you can't hit the targeting zone, stuff like that. Do a you big think hit it's pretty much a penalty now. You're right. You're like, right. if it looks bad, it's a penalty. So do you think it could be sustained with the way it's going as far as, like, you know, more cush protocol, getting rid of a lot of the violence that the sport has in it? I think so. Um, I could easily survive. Um, the deal is going to be how people call the games. Um, and how excited they are about the games. And when I say that, um, I'll turn it to the opposite sport. Um, growing up, watching basketball, basketball was a physical sport. Now it's not. And what they prop up now is look how good and how efficient offenses are. And look how good, even though offenses are so efficient, still defense is and that's exciting so i think if you push the culture towards look how good offenses are in football and look how good at efficiency defenses are at actually paying their position rather than just holy crap holy shit look how fucking huge he hit that dude it becomes one of those things that for sure. The fans will take on whatever way you push the sport. That's interesting. Well, I feel like the way the rules are set up, they, they're they not giving the defense a chance to really do anything. It's, it's, it's damn near impossible. They can't – like I remember as a Colts fan, I, I remember, uh, what was it, 2000 – maybe 2006 or seven. they played the, the Patriots in the, in the AFC Championship game, and the Patriots' defense were – they were so physical against our receivers. And our, our receivers are a little bit undersized with uh, number 88 and Reggie Wayne. They're both under six feet. They're not huge guys, so they pretty much got bullied all, all game. and couldn't do anything. And then the very next year, the NFL changed the rule, like, hey, you can't touch the wide receiver within five yards. You know, they made changes to, to, to change the balance towards offense, like to give them priority because a lot of people want to see big plays. They want to see high scoring games. 
they want to see big hits, but they'd rather see, you know, a game go, you know, 48 to, to 40 or something like that with a lot of big plays and a lot of offense. So it's just, it's hard for defense. It's like they're, they don't want the defense to play like the way they, they played in the, the 80s and 90s. It's a totally different game now. The hard part about that is they're, they're going to have to change. They're already moving the culture of the offense, like you said. They want to be more high scoring, kind of like the college style game. That's why probably a lot of fans, you know, are very uh, faithful and loyal to college teams versus the NFL because it's that feeling you get that last second play, that Hail Mary. They're just going to have to get the culture where the defense like, hey, if we give them 36 points, it is what it is. Like, we should have to get out there, just not give up enough points where we can have a chance to win. That's going to take a long time because, like I said, defensive players, players in general have that pride. Like, hey, I don't want somebody putting up 30 points to my team. I want to be – I want to shut these guys down and lock them down. The only way to do that is to be physical and pose your will on people. But if the game is moved to the, to the place where you cannot do that and cannot be physical, that's going to be hard for some people. That's, that's going to take – I think a long time, maybe like a decade or so to get that mentality like, hey, final score is uh, 50 to 48. Final score is 38 to 30. Like these big scores are going to just have to be, you know, the wave of the future where it's not going to really affect defensive coaches and the way that they're hired and the way that they are perceived by, by other coaches in the league. Like, hey, this is this is what it is. This is the new league. Imposing your will is kind of been legislated out of football. Yeah. Defensively, at least. Like you can't really – you know, punish someone for going over the middle because if it's a big hit, it's a penalty. It, it, no matter no matter who lowers their head first, no matter who does what, it's automatically a penalty because it looks bad. You knock a guy's helmet off, that's a penalty. You can't, you can't. It's going to be hard for them to undo that. As far as like, let's how do they? They can't bring it back to where it's like, okay, let's try to bring, let's try to make some rules that are in favor of the defense. They can't do that now. That. They can't go backwards. I know this conversation was, was spurred off what I said uh, last week's podcast. Uh, I, I said we put up a poll to see uh, where parents would lead their kids towards playing sports. And I thought football would win because I know how people in America love their football. You know, it's, it's pretty much a holiday. You know, Sunday is owned by the NFL during the football season. And football is in last place so far as the time between basketball, soccer, and other. So I found that kind of interesting that uh, I guess a lot of – a lot of the CC thing is scaring parents and maybe putting them on edge as far as letting their kids get into such a physical sport like football. So one of the reasons that I'm on the fence with football is that, A, I think it's good to – I think I'm playing into the culture of, uh, uh, you know, the male role. Is it, it is good to go out there and get toughened up a little bit, you know. Know that, hey, you know, I can get knocked out. I can get back up. You know, say I'm not dead. I'm good. I can push through things. I think that mentality is good for some situations. Also, I think there's a, a type of camaraderie that you get from football that you're not getting from a soccer, a baseball, a swim team, tennis, golf. Like a lot of my life, lifelong friends are people I play high school football with. I mean, we, we might still be friends without football, but it's just a, a different type of bond that you're not getting from those other sports. And I don't know if you're going to get that from a tackleless, contactless football because that. You know, it's you know, you're still in high school. It's like, hey, you know, you took that big kid, you got up, you're still a man. You know, you toughed it out, or whatnot. That that's something that you can look somebody else in the eye. They can understand that type of experience. You know, going through those two days, those those summer camps, those weightlifting sessions. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't see that you're getting that type of camaraderie from other sports. I might be wrong. I could be wrong, but just me personally. 
And, you know, I'll kind of add to that. Uh, I played four sports in high school and I played two sports in college. So um, I played a lot of travel baseball and I played AAU basketball. So, I mean, you do. You gain a lot of those types of relationships because, I mean, in those sports, you're on the road with people a lot. You're in hotel rooms with people a lot. Um, It's not the same as on the football field where, you know, you kind of, the culture is you built it in the iron and the sweat and, you know, you all went through this extreme process that made you crazy stronger. But there's a lot of camarader- camaraderie in a lot of other sports. Um, also, since you guys have the poll, I wanted to kind of, you know, I wanted to give you the national numbers that are already out there, uh, basically, of participation in sports. So, uh, you know, soccer. Since 2011, soccer among men has grown 9.3%, went from 412,000 to 450,000. Basketball uh, has grown 3%, uh, 535,000 to 550,000 in the last five years. And football has declined by 3.5%. So was... Uh, a million participants, uh, about 1.09 million, and now is at about 1.05 million. Study declining has declined over the last four years, but realistically, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, even though the numbers are declining. Yeah, see, and this is this is why I follow him, because he has all this information. He's like really informed on this stuff, and it's it's useful stuff. And a lot of people, a lot of uh, like media members will say, like, you know, football, NFL, as we know it, won't exist in, in 10 years. And those numbers, like when I hear those numbers, I'm like, yeah, I could I could see where they're coming from, because if kids are not playing football, then, you know, a lot of high school kids are not playing a lot of college kids ain't playing. So where's the NFL getting their talent from? Now, I don't I personally I don't think the NFL is going anywhere just because it's there's so much money in it. And it is an opportunity for kids to get out of their situation like a lot of kids. And I don't I don't know if if this applies to you, Anthony, but I know a lot of kids that are playing football just to get out of their situation. They're playing that opportunity to get to get to the NFL. A lot of a lot of kids don't love the game of football. They just happen to be good at it. They just happen to be great or they happen to be really hard workers or they're motivated. And they, and even I'm, I'm sure if you ask NFL players like, Hey, do you love football? And I'm willing to bet that some of them don't love football, but they love the things that come with it. Yeah. And I mean, and it, it realistically, the NFL is a job. Um, you know, it's not something that I stuck around in. I went to summer camp. That's about it. So I can't speak as like a veteran or anything, but realistically looking at it, having lots of friends that are in the league, it's a job. You go, you show up, you punch a card, you do your stuff in the off season. That's going to make you better and you get paid to do it. And realistically, when it's not profitable or it's not valuable to have you around anymore, you're gone. So, um, you know, a lot of guys know that and they think about it like that. And the love for football for many left in college because that's where you first get introduced to the business that is. Yes. Football. 
the business. The business of football in the NCAA is out of this world. There's so much money being spilled all over the place by for for everyone except the players, obviously, because what that doesn't make sense to pay the players because you know who cares about the players? Everybody else needs their private jets and mansions and all that stuff. Well, realistically, also the biggest deal is so as someone who's gone through exit interviews and exit interviews are what uh, players do uh, who have exhausted their eligibility uh, or are graduating. So it's technically it's called the senior exit interview. Technically, you should be graduating, but realistically, it means that all of your eligibility is gone. So you've been there for at least four or five years. Um, the number one complaint out of hundreds of exit interviews that I've done is that coaches shouldn't lie during the recruiting process. So this is where people get introduced that they're told one thing, you know, at 16, at 15, 16, 17. And then once they get on campus, nothing of what was said was true. And parents realizing that coaches lied to them too. I mean, a part of that is, well, we saw the whole Wendell Carter situation uh, debacle come down and, you know, his mom put Coach K on blast. Some people said, boo-hoo, whatever. He was the number seven overall pick, whatever. It worked out. People are saying that he shouldn't be pissed. What about the thousands of people who get lied to and it doesn't work out? That's true. It's, it's, it's very annoying to, to see that stuff happen as far as, like, you know, like you said, a coach coming in to your living room and talking to your mom and dad and saying, like, hey, I want your kid. Trust me to raise your kid for the next two to two to four years. I will be here every step of the way. And then you send your kid off to that college and then you're turning on Sports Center and like, oh, your coach just took a job somewhere else. And it's like, yo, what like how how is this possible? Like my kid is now he's not. You're not, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. You didn't keep your word. And now my kid has to be put under the, the care of someone else that I didn't get a chance to meet or talk with. And what if that coach doesn't like my kid? What if, what if that coach has a different scheme that my kid might not fit in? What if, like, what if the previous coach promised my kid playing time and now he's not getting it? There's so much stuff that happens. And all of these coaches are able to leave immediately and get their money while the players are just kind of stuck they they have no real freedom even so though on they're that, they're the product yeah absolutely so on that a lot of people will point to the fact that coaches have buyouts which yes they have contractual buyouts oftentimes it's lots of millions of dollars but realistically their future import pays it so it's no money out of their pocket so that is what that is um, also, on the player perspective, as to this is when people say, well, this is why players should pick the right fit rather than sign with a coach. And realistically, um, I've said this a hundred times, the right fit for a school is pure luck, whether you play sports or whether you're just a, a regular student who does the chess team or you're in a fraternity, whatever, picking the right fit is pure, absolutely luck. So the numbers on non-athletes that transfer is 37%.
So basically, uh, two out of five people who go to college will go to a different college at some point before they graduate. That shows that, you know, we have not necessarily, it doesn't show that we have institutional issues, but we have issues that people are showing up either unprepared to colleges or colleges aren't offering what they said they offer. Or obviously the number one reason why athletes and non-athletes drop out is financial issues. That's interesting. Okay, so my thing is, though, is going back to the the poll question as far as, like, the kids playing sports. So, like, I get it. There's other sports you can play. But, I mean, for example, if you're, you know, 6'3", 340, you're pretty athletic. I mean, if you know that, like you said, some people think the game is just a job. If you know that your build can get you into a college that's going to pay for your education because you maybe you're not the best student, like, is it wrong to to make that choice? Because I a lot of people do it anyways. But it's kind of like you do want to push people in other directions, but you know that you can get a scholarship just because of how you're built, per se. If that makes sense. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It happens. It happens all the time. Um, the reason why people talk about multi-sport athletes so much is because of. You know, it's get a scholarship in whatever you can play, whether you like it, because it's going to afford you, hopefully, the opportunity to get an education that's paid for. Um, realistically, there are some other issues with the education that's being offered, but that's for another day. Uh, but it'll produce some issues. Um, a huge problem with kind of the aspect that we have not only in the culture of football, but when you take a look at the scope of who's playing football, it and I fell into that. Um, colleges view people who are poor, um, they grasp that by who, so that's how they decide who is, you know, quote unquote, poor. 51% of FBS or Division One football players um, fall into that category. So realistically, there's a bunch of poor people playing football in college. Um, what does this do? It creates, again, that culture of football where um, these people are using it to get out of a situation that they absolutely don't want to be in. Um, it, it creates a lot of issues, uh, you know, a lot of things that we've seen. Um, and players not having representation uh, to be able to uh, basically defend themselves from repercussions of not doing what coaches say. Uh, so one thing I want to reference is Northwestern suing to be able to unionize. Um, not all of that was strictly pay. That was based on that Northwestern Northwestern football players wanted to be able to pick their own majors and be able to go and report injuries and not be worried about administration or coaches being able to punish them. So having protections is why they wanted to unionize, not necessarily just to get paid. Well, and that, that's the, I guess, the hypocrisy of the NCAA when it comes to, oh, were there, there are students first? Because I I listened to uh, Arian Foster. He was a former NFL player, played in Tennessee, and he said that uh, he wanted to major in, like, astrology or something like that. And 
he wasn't able to because it didn't fit with his football schedule. So he had to major in something that he didn't really care about and something that he didn't want to learn about, something he wasn't interested in. And, and, and that's not what you go to college for. You go to college to, you know, pick a major and, and learn in that field. And then sports should come secondary to your education. But that's not the case when you're playing big time college football or big time college basketball. That's why, you know, you hear all these scandals about, you know, players getting their tests taken for them because like, hey, we need you on the field. We need you on the court. We need you. We need you on the field more than we need you in the classroom. You know, you, you consider the travel schedule, the, you know, the lack of sleep, you know, your body aching all the time, trying to go to class, trying to study, got to practice, got to work out, trying to eat. Like, There's a lot of stuff they got to go through and, and have a life. It's and try to do all that. And it's just, you know, if you if you haven't watched uh what is it, Last Chance You on Netflix, it's a really great documentary, docuseries or or whatever. It I think it's a really great look on the on how how competitive people are in, in college college athletics as far as trying to get that to that next step. And there was a there was a, a, a scene that kind of grabbed me where this kid, and this speaks to the culture of football. This kid, he played running back. He clearly had a concussion. Like he got knocked out. It was a bad hit. And they're doing the concussion testing. Like, yo, you got a concussion. You can't play. And the, the the trainer's in his face saying, like, hey, you can't play. This is why, blah, 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 blah. And this running back is like, yo, I don't care. I'm here to play football. If I don't play, I'm not gonna get a chance to go to the to to a D1 school then I can't get to NFL. So then I won't be able to take care of my kid. He had a kid on the way. Yeah, I'm married now. Like I have to play. And he was screaming. Like, I'm like, he was like, I am, I will die on that field. I will fight everybody here for that helmet because I have to play. And that's the mentality of football players. And for the longest time, we put that, that type of, you know, my machismo and toughness on, on a pedestal, but is any, praising like that when i saw that it just kind of it didn't it, it it's not like it rubbed me the wrong way but i understand the culture of football and that's how that's how football players are they're that way and there's no it's going to take decades that people are willing to risk their brain their knees their body anything just to play ball well, that, that ties into a, oh, that ties into a good stat that Anthony just brought up as far as like fifty percent of the athletes being of uh, poverty line, and also we discussed before the podcast discussing trying to pay players. Like that guy is literally risking his life because he has a family support. Now imagine if he's getting fifty thousand dollars a year. Do you think he's still going to make that choice? Because hey, he can still support his family without risking his life. The other thing that I thought about when Anthony brought up that stat is, okay, so let's say in a perfect world. The poverty line didn't exist. Everybody was middle to high class. Do you think football is still gonna would still survive with that? Because, like you said, they kind of prey on lower income people or people that literally are giving their lives for opportunity to be millionaires. If you're already well off, are you still playing football? Probably not, right? Um, I don't necessarily think that that's true. Um, and the reason why I don't think that is true is, um the NFL. The NFL is full of millionaires. Um, you got lazy people. You got 
very motivated people. Well, um, what I mean, like from the beginning, though, like because they have to get to that point, though, like if they don't have the, the farm, which is the high school and the collegiate levels to get them to that point. If your dad's a Fortune 500 banker or something like that, like, why am I playing football? Like, I, I don't need to do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, but for people like the guy last, last chance, you, he has no other options. Like, this is it. Like, I have to risk my life to maybe be one of the small percentage of people that actually make to the NFL to make said millions. Yeah. And this is kind of something that we talked about uh, with a former teammate of mine as to, you know, why is it that in college basketball and in college football, um, the Pale Grant recipient rate is so high, which is how schools de determine if someone is poor or not. Um, well, you know, his idea was that, you know, it's a lot of guys coming from certain places and it, it, that's exactly it. They, there's no other option. It's this or fail. And a lot do fail. And there's no backup plan, and they go back to the neighborhoods where they come from um, and do whatever it is that they do. You know, Randy Moss spoke on that about Ran, Ran U. Uh, you know, Ran University was, you know, the guys who were the ballers who were now on the corner and his hometown um, doing not great stuff. Um, so, this is kind of viewed as their one shot. Well, what I'm saying is that that culture needs to change is that, yo, football is just an outlet to get you where you can go. A tool is not the only option because it came a point where like, I pretty much almost quit. And the reason why I did was because of being able to major in what I wanted to major in. Um, and I was able to transfer, but originally that was a big portion of the reason why I had to leave where I was at because I wasn't able to major in what I wanted to major in. Uh, but I luckily have a mom, you know, who also went to college, who understands that portion of that, who helped me navigate through that. Um, a lot of people don't have that. They don't have someone who can come help them navigate through that. Who's like, look, man, this coach is tripping. Uh, I'm going to call him. I'm going to talk to him. And if he doesn't say what I like, we're getting you out of there and we're getting you somewhere else. A lot of people don't have people advocating for them. I did. Um, so I was lucky on that aspect. Uh, but realistically, the game can survive if people aren't poor. Um uh, it just the culture needs to change of what people feel their options are. And that's on a coaching aspect. That's on a parent parental aspect. Um, all of us who have grown up in bad neighborhoods, I know I did. You don't push your kids into that. The streets or sports are the only option. And people who do, you know, their kids have a very skewed perception of what their options truly are not blaming them whatsoever because I know what it's like. I get it. That shit, that shit was rough. Um, but we have to change that culture, especially at the high school level. Yeah, that is true. I, I try to get, get out the mindset. If I see somebody like a, a high school or a young guy that's kind of built or tall, like, Oh, you should play sports. It's like, well, no, you could be a dentist. You could be a doctor. You could be a lawyer. Maybe you could play sports here and there for fun, but that shouldn't be the first thing in our heads. It's like, Hey, you're big and you're tall, you're, you're fast, you're strong, go be an athlete. No, like you can be a, a strong doctor, you can be a strong lawyer, you can be a tall dentist, you know what I'm saying? So that, that comes from, like you said, the communities as well. 
another quick question I have is as far as like you said, some people, you know, the NFL is filled with millionaires and some people, they do it as a job, they're lazy. Do you think with all the new information and technology regarding CTE and injuries, are you think people are going to start playing less and less, less and less time as far as their contracts? Like maybe do four years and get out. Or do you think that's yeah. not a possibility? Yeah, I think so. So uh, Chris Borland is a guy that I've met and I've talked to. Um, he went to Wisconsin, which is a rival of our school. Um, he knew a lot of guys that I knew because they were teammates. And he was one of those guys who had a phenomenal rookie season. I think he played one more season for the 49ers after that and looked like he was going to be a rising star in the NFL. And then information, you know, he had been digging through concussion CTE information for a lot of years and he just said it's not worth it two years in he was just like i'm out um and he looked like he was going to be a rising star in the league um something like that hurts the perception of what concussions and cte are um because you have someone who had options to stay in football and decided to bounce because they viewed that it wasn't worth it at 23 years old. Um, I don't think that, that, I mean, that's not going to hurt the brand of the NFL, whatever, whatsoever, but it hurts public perception. But again, the NFL um, in a down year still netted 1 billion more than they netted last year. So, you know, think about that. It's going to be some time before we ever see, uh, you know, a hole in the armor, or some decreasing, especially as they try to grow their brand internationally. And they're going to keep throwing these guys out there, like regardless, like with Sunday night games, Monday night games, now Thursday night games. And it's, uh, I know some people who are, there's some people that aren't watching the NFL due to the, due to, due to players uh, kneeling for the anthem. And there's also people not watching because of, you know, players being blackballed at the league. But there's also there's also people who are like, yeah, this football is not really that good as a product when it comes to watching players play on three or four days rest because you need at least a week bare like at minimum to uh to be able to fully recover to play another game. But as far as we'll we'll, we'll move on to the uh to the NCAA your your expertise as as you've already shown what are what are you working on as far as trying to get players into uh you're trying to get them into hbcus or, or what are you trying to do go oh, that'll be uh that'll be a discussion that you'll want to have with a guy his name is andy schwartz um he is a sports economist he owns his own uh economics firm in oakland and just um, a really talented guy has testified in, uh, in court against the NTA in the O'Bannon case, um, helped bring football back to UAB. Um, he's a real big part of this project. Really uh, kind of just on the back end, I'm really just kind of helping uh, get the whole thing started. So the idea is um, players, they're compensated. Um, 
to play in this league. And really the idea is that we're offering more than just paying them. Or I should say the league is offering more than just paying them. What that really means is, you know, what if there's a there's a trial that starts in September of post O'Bannon, the uh, courts ruled that the NCAA was violating antitrust laws and their compensation limits were illegal. So the limits changed. So they ruled that from 1976 to 2015, NCAA, what you're doing, totally illegal. Change it now. So now in September, a new trial is starting that's saying, hey, your new limits from 2015 to 2018, we still think those are illegal. Um, so if they win that, which by what our laws say, they should, but that's not necessarily always you know, the case. Um, what if Ohio State start paying players? You know, What do we offer that's different? So the idea is, of course, not only is it uh, monetary, um, also on top of that, you're getting that, you know, we're allowing agents. Um, you can sign endorsement deals um, in the HBL. You can also um, get financial counseling from us actually directly. So they are employees of HBL, the league. They aren't employees of the actual schools themselves. So the reason why this is so important is because we don't want to leave the schools on the hook for anything. They go to, they go to the schools. The schools are struggling financially, some of them already. So this is all that we want the athletes and the schools to be the biggest stakeholders. So what does that mean? We want to build the HBCUs up, um, and we want the athletes to feel more comfortable in a place. I mean, anyone who knows anything about HBCUs knows that there's tons of white athletes at HBCUs. That's a question that I've been asked. Well, what about white people? You know, there's tons of white athletes. There's ton of Asian athletes. There's tons of international athletes um, at HBCUs. Um, the idea is that when you look at who's producing the most minutes in the most points in college basketball, I think it was like 72% when I went through like all the data of minutes played points scored is by black individuals, 72%. So remember we're 13% of the population. We're producing 72% of all production in all of college basketball. So why is it that they shouldn't get a piece? You say 13% of the population, which is an even smaller sliver at the colleges that, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's even crazier. So, yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. I, I'd love to see something like that happen. I know it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of people being more open-minded this because, again, most people are going to say, hey, you know, you can either go to FAMU or go to University of Georgia or University of Florida. Most people are going to just push their kids towards those institutions because they just assume because they're bigger, they have more resources, that they're better, and that they're going to get a better education, which is not always the case. Hopefully, uh, you know, you continue to go good work in that that area and continue to progress with that yeah, so speak for everyone in the league or the league entirely but you know something that's been uh that was said to me many years ago is education not only is education important but who educates you is important mm -hmm. um 
especially when you talk about black culture. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, especially on Twitter, debate the HBCU versus PWI. Um, you can tell in the conversations that people have that who educated them matters towards the way that they think, the way that they do things in their personal lives. So that kind of, you know, is also important as well, too. Okay. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you coming through, man. We'll definitely have you back on again uh, once things get cooking with football. Uh, definitely give out your uh, Twitter and any other additional information you want to get the folks who want to try to reach you. Yeah, I mean, people could reach me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there. Uh, the handle is Cleet Elite Amfro, A-N-F-R-O. Uh, mostly jokes, mostly sports. Good stuff. Mark, you got any closing words? Nah, man. Just appreciate Anthony for coming on and, and giving his insight and uh, spreading the word on what he's doing. And, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see how this, this football, this uh, the attack on football goes. As, uh, I think Jason Whitlock likes to call it. Football is unfairly targeted. But, I mean, it's, it's an interesting discussion, and it's something that I think will be discussed a lot, especially with football season coming up pretty soon. Fair enough. So hopefully uh, everybody's teams do well. I'm a Falcons fan for all y'all out there. So rise up. Again, Anthony, appreciate you coming through. Uh, this committee podcast, we out. Peace.